Open our hearts, O Lord, to hear your words and give us courage to follow them. Amen. So by New Year's Day, the nativity was gone from the governor's lawn. The wreaths are still in the windows, but the baby was gone. It wasn't unexpected. I mean, at this time of year, the trees do begin to accumulate on the streets and lights come down and Christmas gets packed away. For most, it's been up since Thanksgiving, so it's probably time. But it always makes me feel sad to have to take it all down after the epiphany. And every year I debate about leaving just one nativity scene out because I want to keep things the way they are. I mean, let's face it, Jesus is a lot less demanding as a baby in the manger. And I want Jesus to stay a baby in the manger where I can admire him as his parents do in my scene and where I can hold on to that sweet feeling of Christmas. I don't think Mary had sweet feelings of Christmas when she found Jesus in the temple. Three days of searching, three days of walking dark city streets, imagining all the dangers that could happen to her boy. I mean, without the protection of the extended family traveling party, Jerusalem can be a dangerous city. And nothing makes a mother more angry than being fearful. Child, why have you treated us like this? That's the Bible translation for where the hell have you been? Before I had children, I marveled at stories of lost children and wondered how that could possibly happen. And now I know it can happen in seconds, and it is awful. There's this damning combination of fear and guilt. He is lost. I lost him. Something terrible is going to happen to him, and it's all my fault. Damn him. Because as angry as you are, you want to find him, but you want to kill him. Jesus doesn't seem at all worried. He doesn't apologize. He doesn't accuse. In a simple matter-of-fact response, he says, didn't you know I would be about my father's work? That is the place to look for him. For three days he was lost, but now he is found. He was gone, but now he is here. There are wonderful literary allusions to the three days in the tomb and resurrection, but the bottom line for Jesus He was never lost. He was exactly where he needed to be, and even at his young age, he knew that. We just didn't know where to look. How often do we lose sight of Jesus, get so wrapped up in shaming ourselves or seeking the reason for our doubt or our lost faith that we forget where to look for it again? We get sort of trapped in our own head, and Jesus says, Didn't you know that I would be about my father's work? Well, what is it to be about your father's work? To belong to community, you have to actually work in community. It's like when people say, I just don't feel connected to the church anymore. And I want to ask, well, what are you doing for other people in the church right now? And my favorite is when parents say, well, I don't want to bring my children to church because I don't want them to hate it when they grow up. And I say, don't worry. They won't hate it because they won't know it. I mean, church is a pretty good place to start, even if you're not always feeling it. Sometimes the best we can do is just show up. In AA programs, they call it fake it till you make it. But it's why we start the Nicene Creed with we believe. 
because sometimes my faith is not strong enough to get through the whole thing on my own, and you carry me. And other times, I carry you. It's what we do in community together, and it's where we find Jesus about our Father's work. But of course, Jesus is not confined just to the church any more than we can keep the baby in the manger. So why is it hard to find him? Do we really not know where to look? Maybe it's guilt that I should be doing more. Or maybe it's that it's just beginning to feel like one more responsibility on a pile of things I have to do. Or maybe that's just the story I'm telling myself because I'm scared of what God might ask if I am too near. See, God is calling us to learn, to see with enlightened hearts, to hear with ears of compassion, to love with, not with unconditional love, but to love with the condition of Christ. And that's hard. To love as God loves is not a sentimental type found in the creche. It's not some sweet baby sentiment but it's hard to move on. I mean, have you ever held a baby really close, that warm, cookie-smelling bundle with the tiny puffs of air in your neck? I mean, you really can't do anything else when you hold a baby except be there. Well, you can, but you shouldn't. Because the times are so short, and they grow up, and then it's all different. And no longer can you just hold on to the baby and admire it. But now that the baby is grown up and he is out in the world, he is calling us to find him and follow him. For there's no more just sitting around admiring the baby. Jesus defies our expectations and he won't stay in the manger and retain the sentimentality of a nativity scene. The text goes on to say, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in years. We forget that part. And most liturgical years, we have the baby Jesus, and then we have Jesus all grown up being baptized in the River Jordan. But we forget there are all of these years in between, years that he spent learning his Torah from Mary and carpentry skills from Joseph, years he spent learning about relationships with family and friends and enemies and strangers, years he spent feeling joyful and lonely and fearful and angry all that time being about his father's work of learning how to be human in this world, even God had something to learn about that, as do we. But he's growing up and moving out, so now what? As we carefully wrap up the nativity pieces and pull down the greens and dump the trees, we need not pack up Christmas until next year. Now, I don't mean the stuff. It's time to let that go, and while we're at it, we probably should let go of the guilt and the fear as well, and certainly the low expectations of sentimental happiness. We need to let go so that we can make room. Make room for the Jesus who is growing in wisdom and divine favor who seeks the same for us. Remember, God chose you. God adopted you. God created you for a reason. And as Paul writes, I pray that the Lord Jesus Christ may give you the wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of a heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to that which he has called you. What are the riches of the glorious inheritance, the immense power for those who believe? 
This time in the life of Jesus is our example. For once he was a helpless baby, vulnerable and dependent on ordinary human beings. He gave up everything to be with us. Then he found God in community. He grew in wisdom. He grew in relationships. Then he took that wisdom and divine favor into a wider world so that we might find him there also. So we too can learn to be dependent upon one another, to give to one another, to grow in relationship with one another so that we can be about our Father's business. And in the words of Howard Thurman, when the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, then the work of Christmas begins to find the lost to heal the broken, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among the people, to make music in the heart.